0: This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York.
1: City University
2: Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the theater.
3: This seminar: Play Script Direct.
1: Welcome to the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theater. These seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. The American Theatre Wing, as you know, created the Tony Awards, but the Wing is much more than that. The Wing is more than the Tony Awards, it's the oldest ongoing nonprofit organization devoted to serving the community through the theater and to serving the theater as well. You know, from the early days of the Wing Stage Door Canteen came our current program of bringing theater to hospitals and institutions, and that goes on today. And the reason for that is that those that can't come out to the theater have theater brought to them by the American Theater Wing. We also have our Saturday for Children program. This is the I think one of the most important programs that the Wing has. On Saturday mornings, the children line up. They have already made a commitment. They've bought a ticket, and they want to see a show, and they have started the habit of what it is to go to the theater. We get them at the earliest possible age, at grade school level, and it's a wonderful thing to see that these children who make the choice between either watching television or playing spitball or going to the theater, choose to go to the theater. And that's the way it should be. Not a special great big event, but a need to go to the theater. And these seminars come out of our school where people like Jose Ferrer and and um, Hammerstein and Rogers and Harold Prince and Kermit bloomgarten all donated their services so that returning veterans of the Second World War could come and listen, observe, and be part of what it is to work in the theater. Our seminars are on the performance, the play script, and the production. And the people that are on our panel are knowledgeable, they're concerned with the theater, and they share this concern not only with each other, but with you. And now I would like to introduce our co-moderators. Gene Dalrymple is a playwright, a director, a founding member of the Board of Directors of the American Theatre Wing, and president of the Manhattan Light Opera. And Ed Wilson is a theatre critic for the Wall Street Journal. He's director of the Center for Advanced Studies in Theatre Arts at the Graduate School at the City University of New York. This morning, he leaves his role as critic behind and brings his knowledge, his love, and his devotion to the theater to share with you. Without further ado, we're going to go on to our co-moderators who will introduce this stunning panel of playwright and director to you. Thank you very much.
4: thank you isabel i'd like to begin by introducing the three panelists who are on my right uh, beginning at the far right mr alan knee who is the wrote the book for a late night comic which opened on broadway last week in addition to writing for the theater he's written frequently for films and television he was responsible uh, for example for the series on public television the adaptation of the scarlet letter next to him is mr ron Lago Marcino, a director who directed the current hit off-Broadway, Driving Miss Daisy, for which he received a Drama Desk nomination. He has directed for the Manhattan Theatre Club, Playwrights Horizons, and all across the country. I started to ask him a moment ago what theatres, and there were just too many to mention, including the Arena, the Hartford, the Hartman, and for Lloyd Richards' Playwrights Conference in Connecticut, uh, Lloyd being a member of our panel today, too. Next to him, on my immediate right, Mr. August Wilson, the playwright, Uh, who has the current hit on Broadway Fences, which won the American Theatre Wing Tony Award last year, as well as the Pulitzer Prize and the New York Drama Critics Circle Award. He's also the author of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I was very fortunate myself last week to see in Washington uh, a a new play of his, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, which is playing at the Arena Stage. Next week, uh, if you can keep up with this, his new play, The Piano Lesson, goes into rehearsal uh, at the Yale Repertory Theater.
5: Oh, you're too good. On my far left is a new development in Broadway theater. She's a casting director. She also is a casting director for films and television. She's in partnership with Miss Fran Cuman. Uh, right now, she's represented on Broadway by some marvelous shows, Fences. Coastal Disturbances, and Broadway Bound. And later in the season, she's going to have M. Butterfly, and I asked her what that was, and did it have anything to do with Madame Butterfly, and she said yes. <laughs> a Walk in the Woods and a Road to Mecca. She also casts for the Yale Repertory Theater and for the second stage, and her name is Meg Simon. <laughs> Next to her is a gentleman from Atlanta, Georgia, who wrote a marvelous play, Driving Miss Daisy. He also wrote a show that I adored, The Robber Bridegroom, and uh, his name is Alfred (laughs) Urey. And right next to me is an old, old friend and a great, great man. He received the 1987 Tony Award for his direction of Fences. Directed the original Raisin in the Sun, also Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And he's Dean of the Yale School of Drama and Artistic Director of the Yale Repertory Theater for the last eight years, Lloyd Richards. Mm-hmm. I would I'd like to say a word about Meg Simons because you know, in the days when I was doing a lot of producing, we never heard of a casting director. And uh, I suppose it's an adaptation from uh, television and <laughs> films, but we did all of our own casting. We knew before we d- did a show whom we wanted in it, actually. And uh, isn't it a more or less recent development? I
6: think it is recent. When, when I started, I was working for a Broadway producer, Alexander Cohen,
5: um, and I
6: was in house. Yeah. And eight years ago, went out
5: on my own. Yes. So. Yes. Well, that's, I think, interesting,
4: don't you? It is. It's a comment on the change that's occurred in producing as well as uh, other things in the theatre. Today, as Isabel Stevenson said, we're going to be talking about the play script and particularly about uh, the collaborative process uh, of the playwright with the director and with someone like Miss Simon as well. And we want to get into that in some depth in a moment, Mm -hmm. but just so you can meet all the people on the panel initially, I'd like to ask each one of them how they first got into this collaborative process with either their partner who happens to be here. We have two sets of partners here today. Uh, How they got into that and what the initial encounter was like. uh, Or with the person who may not be here, Mr. Nee's partners, and Ms. Simon, how she got involved with fences, for example. Just the initial kind of encounter, and then later on we'll go into depth into uh, this whole process. But let's, uh, could we begin with you, Alan?
0: Um, I'd finished this, a musical, and, uh, and I just began sending it around, as I usually do when I finish a script. And the first one who responds and says he likes it, he's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, his. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Philip Rose, uh, um, who's a man, one of the first people I've ever met in the theater, um, I had met him when I got out of Yale in, uh, the early 70s, and he was, a uh, very responsive then, just said, you know, I, he liked my work, and any time I, um, I finished anything, I would love to see it. And I, so I, it was like 17 years later, I sent him something. <laughs> yeah. And it was a very good beginning. Uh, we worked um, we worked almost a year together in getting the script uh, ready, and it was the, it was the happiest time of, uh, of the collaboration. Bron, what about you with the... the how you and your writer
7: got together? Well, I guess um, I, was in, I was in Seattle, actually, when I got a call from Andre Bishop. Um, I had the head of Playwrights Horizons. Right, the artistic director of Playwrights Horizons. And um, I had done a show for the Young Playwrights Festival <coughs> at Playwrights earlier that year. And I'd sort of looked over the brochure of what was happening that season. And um, I did a little snooping around and said, what seems to be interesting? And um, people kept saying, driving Miss Daisy, driving Miss Daisy. I don't think I ever told Alfred that. Um, And um, but of course they were all uh, uh, spoken for at that moment. And as things often happen in the theatre, different projects come up and this project became available and I got a call. And um, I said I I would love to read it and I'd love to meet with Alfred and I read the play and uh, we met. one fateful, de- fateful day, and um, liked each other very much. And I think we saw eye-to-eye eye on what the play was about initially, uh, uh, I mean, from the start. And um, that was the beginning of a very uh, very smooth and uh, very giving relationship back and forth.
8: Alfred, what's your memory of first getting, first meeting uh, with Robert? Well, it was odd. First of all, he does not know this was my fiftieth birthday. The day he came to my house, and I thought that was some kind of an omen. <laughs> and uh, I thought, uh, I have never—I've worked with a lot of directors in my life, but I never had like a, a little click off in my head and say, "This is right. This is good." He came in and he said, uh, "I think this is a I don't know exactly how he said it. He said this is a play about hats and gloves and getting getting doing things on time." And I, I thought, that's right, that's what it's about. And I knew that day that I wanted him to direct it, and I was right. It was just one of those lucky things.
3: August, where did you and Lloyd first encounter each other? Uh, I I first met Lloyd uh, at the uh, Eugene O'Neill Theater Center's National Playwrights Conference, where I had uh, submitted a script called My Rainey's Black Bottom. And uh, I did not work with Lloyd at the conference, he's artistic director of the conference, and I worked with a director named Bill Partman. And after the conference there were several theaters who were interested in producing the play, one of which was, the you know, Repertory Theater. And uh, I asked Lloyd if he was going to direct the play, and he said yes, and I thought that was a good idea. So uh, at some time, April, I think, of 84, I got off the train in New Haven, uncertain as to what was going to happen, but prepared to work, and. Uh, that's when we first started working together, and of course, it's, we've continued to work together, and this worked very well.
4: Lloyd, you, the, the, in terms of getting together with August, he was you had seen the work at uh, the playwrights conference, obviously, and at what point were you certain you wanted to, or did you feel very strongly you wanted to, be the director of this play? Uh,
2: that's that's very interesting because uh, that's. I made up my mind about that when I first read the play. <laughs> As Artistic Director of the National Playwrights Conference, and producing 16 plays, I can't direct any of them. And having a theater, uh, yeah, a repertory theater, I cannot say to any playwright that I am interested in your work. It's an advantage that I would be taking over other producers and other theaters. So I sat there through the entire conference knowing that one day I must direct this play. Mm-hmm but not being able to say it to August until after the conference was over. And then there was quite a time because there were uh, some uh, New York producers that were very interested in the play. And I didn't immediately get it. But when their negotiation fell through, I said to August, okay, now? And he said, now, and we began to work. And uh, since that, it's been easier. We haven't had to say those
4: things. They just exist. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Meg, when did you first get into uh, the Fences picture, well, with these two people? I presume that's the first time – you'd worked with Lloyd before, I guess.
6: Yes, Fran and I do all the casting at the Yale Rep, so we cast every play they do, if, if there's a need, and there usually is. They use some students in the productions, and, um, and professional actors from New York, so this was a, a, a given that we would work on it.
4: The oh. Let's go back just for a moment to, to driving, Miss Daisy, and talk about that uh, some, if we could. What, uh, was this a completely smooth road? Was a, <coughs> what, when, and what stages did you go through? Did you have a, a reading first and then a workshop oh, yeah. production? Or how, how did this evolve? And did you have a few disagreements along yeah. the way?
8: I wish we could say we did. I don't think we ever did. Uh, oh, well, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we could make, there was a reading before Ron came into the picture. And uh, from the reading, I made a few changes in, in, in the play. And uh, once the actors got a hold of the play, I made some more changes. Just making it Why am I saying this? I have to get from here to there. Those kind of changes. And there was a scene that was troublesome that I worked on a while longer than other scenes. Uh, but. Ron certainly suggested some of those minor changes. I, did we ever have a disagreement? Maybe I've gotten
7: old and dotty. I don't remember. And I don't know. I think, I think once we... There was very little that we did before we went into rehearsal, uh, unlike some other collaborations where you see this needs to go through a full rewrite before we go in. I didn't feel that. I, mean, I guess my biggest uh, fear in, in when I first read the play was uh, uh, every other scene, they said, now they get into uh, a 1956 something or other, now they get into a Cadillac. And there were like (laughs) six or seven cars that they were getting in and out of. And, um, and it the play has uh, 26 scenes and it lasts about an hour and a half. And, um, so immediately I started thinking, um, well, this has to be simple or we because we just need to get on with it. And, um, and so, that's the beginning of, of how we ended up with, with Two Stools. But, but in terms of the writing, we went into rehearsal, I believe, with that same script. And then when we cast the play, and when Ray Gill and Morgan Freeman and Dana Ivey joined us, uh, um, we all s- went very, very slowly through and just sort of listened to the heartbeat of the play. And, and, and made a lot of fine-tuning changes. I guess the biggest changes were in the second scene in which we first meet Morgan's character, Hoke, and uh, uh, we did some working on the Stroke scene, which is a very difficult scene. Uh, we added some overlapping dialogue and uh, tried to find out what that was so it didn't become this huge, melodramatic uh, moment, which it wouldn't be. Um, in fact, Alfred... Uh, was very clear about the fact that, uh, in remembering a similar episode uh, with a member of his family, that, that uh, the person having the stroke could look at, at the other person. In this case, Daisy could look right at Hoke, and... and uh, but be somewhere else. And that, to me, was... was a, was a real bell that went off, because that, that's the most scary thing of all, that's something that seems quite normal, um, or looks quite normal, is, is, uh, uh, is an eruption. And that was what the whole... the play was about, uh, small moments. And the minute we, we were, we... I listened to what Alfred wrote and found what the small moments were, then there was a story that had a cumulative effect. But I, I couldn't say, uh, you know, how am I gonna, uh, rev this up? Because it's a play that, that, that existed in in small moments
4: but so there was a great deal of fine-tuning that went on during right. the rehearsal process right, mm-hmm. right.
5: Well, i ask uh, uh, who did the casting
7: well god i we um
1: we all did that together
7: um there is a casting director at Clarets horizons who made up long lists but we decided very early on who was at the top of our list um and we
8: got did,
5: him. Yeah. it. Yeah. Nobody ever
7: read for Miss Daisy. We, we wanted Dana
5: Ivy. Oh, good. Ron
8: and I both, we didn't know her personally. We both knew her work.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: We both, I was further justified in my choosing Ron at that point because we always, and to this day, have we had exactly the same feelings about casting this play. And the mm-hmm. fact that Dana Ivy is far from an old lady, <laughs> some of the people concerned with the play thought that was a problem. And we both knew mm-hmm. that we wanted that angular. Yeah. sharp thing that Dana could give us and not have just some old Sweetie Pie do it. We wanted that. Luckily, Dana's from Atlanta. I thought being Southern, Southern yeah. people always are attuned to bad Southern accents. <laughs> and uh, at least I knew with Dana, at the very least, I would get You're a good Southern it. accent. So. And Morgan's Southern, too. So, uh, yeah. We didn't. We wanted Morgan, too. We were very lucky. Ray yeah. Gill, we were extra lucky because he auditioned.
1: Um, and where and had you uh, seen their work
7: before?
8: I'd seen Dana's work uh, I saw Heartbreak House, I saw the Durang play Baby with the Bathwater, mm-hmm. I saw Sunday in the Park with George, and Morgan is, for me, was just one of those actors that had always existed. I, I can't remember when I first saw his work, but I'd always admired it.
1: You both agreed on the on the casting right from the beginning of this?
7: Mm-hmm. We did. We had, you know, we had, um, I mean, Dana was the only one on the list. I mean, she was the one that excited us the most because it seemed like coming at it from around the bend, mm-hmm. uh, and we really latched on, uh, there, were, there were other people, but we didn't uh, disagree. Uh, no, we didn't.
1: Had you not agreed, who would have had the final decision?
7: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that's probably in one of our contracts or something. I never read them. <laughs> that, uh, as far as I know, supposedly
8: writers have yes. casting approval, but I don't think with Ron, it was just, it wouldn't have happened.
7: Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, there would have been a good reason and we would have mm-hmm. understood. I think in, in I think that's not uncommon, I think, in in collaborations that are are working in any way that there's never a, that, that sort of a high-handed...
1: But this is a first collaboration. This
7: is a first. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so
4: maybe you could, since it was a This went so smoothly, and you were obviously on the same wavelength, clearly, about a lot of things, the script and about casting. By the way, we had on our seminar here yesterday on performance, we had both Morgan Freeman and Dana Ivey here, mm-hmm. and it was interesting that... Uh, uh, they actually, Morgan referred to the fact that he is not as old as the character either, but that you all made a conscious decision uh, to go for a quality in the writer rather and yeah. in the actor rather than the um, the age factor. But I wanted to ask you, since this has gone so smoothly, I assume you've had other collaborations that may have be, not. Have yes. not.
8: <laughs> I had one director once who scree- he was also the producer though. He screamed, his face got red and the veins came out of his neck because he wanted somebody in a part. <laughs> That none of the writers wanted, and of course he got his way, and uh, she got fired in uh, Washington or somewhere. Uh, but it was a very—it was not a comfortable collaboration. I mean, it was just—it wasn't good. But those things. D- that's why I think, com- having worked as much as I have with people, I can appreciate this. And it's not just because the play worked. I—I th- I think the play worked for one reason because we got along so well. And, those kind of things eke out to actors and, and, and stage managers, and, and there was just a healthy feeling around.
4: I have to say, having seen uh, Driving Miss Daisy, that it is a fragile, it is a, a delicate piece of work. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a strong piece of work, but it's very delicate, and I can see how <coughs> certain things would go out the window if you all had not really been together on the way you wanted it done, it seems to me, because it could easily, don't you think, you mentioned melodrama, but it could go in a lot of directions,
7: the, the yeah, play could. Um, I think, but again, the work was... It was scary, in a way, because uh, in, a, in a, any episodic play, and I'm, and I'm working on one now, you work so carefully on each scene, and we didn't have that many run-throughs. You know. <laughs> and um, we would do it, and, you know, at the end of it, you know, we'd look at each other and say, Yeah, that seems yeah. right. And then we'd do the next one, which is a minute and a half, and said, Yeah. And I kept telling them um, to take their time that there's stuff going on between the lines too and and you know, take a pause and take a pause and uh, and it got scarier and scarier because each piece seemed right and then we put it together the first time and these younger actors are, are playing older and it's all it's all very fragile and you, and you think, okay, I think we have something but what do we have? I, yeah, I trust, I believe. And then slowly um, you know, it, it, it happens, but I think, I think the, the thing is, you can't be, um, you, you, again, I mean, I just had to stay with the text and say, this scene wants to be about this. It, this scene is about this. This scene follows that. Um, uh, another thing that, that uh, miraculously didn't happen in twenty-six scene play is we never flip-flopped a scene. The order was true. We did, uh, condense a couple phone calls and took them out and put them in action. Uh, but, um, so, I don't know, it was, it was, it was good, but it was, it's scary,
5: yeah. Elena yeah. <coughs> so, when she spoke at the, uh, Woman Pays Club, said that when they began first running through, she said to herself several times, my goodness, what is the next scene?
1: <laughs>
7: yes. We have big lists. Yeah, in, 26 you, know, scenes. you know, this is the, the, the salmon
1: can scene yeah. and this is the You seem like a very gentle, verbal kind of director in guiding them along. How does that how do you work, Lloyd, in, in directing? Yours is a different
2: Oh, I'm a gentle verbal kind of director.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now that we've established that, then would you like to go on from
2: there? What kind of a director are you? <laughs> not,
1: not what kind. We know uh, what kind you are. Well,
2: but you know, I—I I shouldn't tell these kind of secrets. But how does one work? Yes, uh, not from you, but I mean from even actors, because I think you're, in your own way, surprising them. But I. I like an actor to discover for himself what I intend for him to discover. When he discovers it, it's his. When I impose it, it's mine for a time. So I am always trying to, I guess you call it, feed people or actors, so that they discover, in a way, things that I would like to discover. I spent a lot of time around the table talking about uh, the characters, talking about the play, talking about the rhythms, talking about the music, talking about whatever, and developing relationships so that hopefully when we do get up and go to the marked out place on the floor, people almost go to where you have intended for them to go uh, when you're at the table. So it's, uh, I guess, one might call it uh, uh, the the quiet type of uh, direction. It suits me, mm-hmm.
3: you know?
2: and it uh, to create uh, an atmosphere in a room that is comfortable and productive and provocative at the same time, but uh, comfortable where people can be wrong, where I can be wrong, and nobody has risk any great thing or lost any great thing. That's only on the way of discovering what is right. How is that
1: resolved when one is wrong?
2: Just go on to what... To me, being wrong or what one might call failure of a moment Mm -hmm. is just the step before growth. Growth comes one step after failure and understanding the nature of that failure And out of that, you understand the next step you should take. So it is uh, really experiencing the fact, examining the fact, and taking the next step.
4: Mm -hmm. uh, Lloyd, if someone, if an actor, for example, is not—you have a clear sort of image of what you want to come out of a particular actor, and and they probably, in many cases, because of the atmosphere you've established, discover that. Suppose someone, though, let's say, in a secondary role, for example, is not really finding what you want them to find, what, what do you do then? You're asking me if I give line reading? No, I'm I not. No, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm not. really but not. because I I'm assuming
2: provoke, you must I suggest, I pull, I you push, you I do yeah. anything. You prod, you do... Oh, God, yes, whatever is necessary, whatever is essential, because we've got to, eventually, got to get there. Yes. And it is important, but I, what I don't mean to imply is that in any way one is not stimulating the the creative impulse of the actor. You know, I just know what I want, but I am open (coughs) enough to take advantage of uh, a good actor. I'll tell you what I feel. And I have never said this in front of August, so I don't know how he feels about it. I feel feel that there is uh, a point in the work where the playwright knows about every individual character more than anyone. All things being equal, if the work progresses, there is a point at which the director may know more about uh, certain individual characters than even the playwright. All things being equal, there is a point at which the good actors knows more about that role than either the playwright or the director because he is the only person who lives through it in relation to other people living through it. August can take it or any playwright and I can and live through it but you're always living through it alone. The actor lives through the moment in relation to other people doing the same. And it's uh, so that as an experience is something no one else has. And that is uh, a little magic and that, that, uh, that happens, that I want to know what's going on in that encounter, because wonderful things can happen out of it, and very often do.
4: I think that's a terrific description of the progression mm-hmm. of the stages through which the, idea, the ideal production <laughs> would go. It unfortunately, it doesn't always happen that way, although yesterday, mm-hmm. when we did have here Courtney Vance, who is in Fences, and we had John Malkovich, who is in Burn This, and several other people we were talking about, and... Dana and Morgan, who are in Driving Miss Daisy, and inevitably, when we asked them about their parts, uh, they said, it's written that way. They really gave tribute to the writer in terms of establishing that part. But clearly, they have gone through with their directors through those stages to the point where now, in a sense, they own that, uh, they own that part. They own it yeah. because they understand yeah. the writer and his intent, you know, and have really illuminated that.
1: I, I think also uh, the responsibility is Meg's on that part, because she brought to you actors in casting, is that right? That, that would be able to respond to this, would have the, the quality of, of bringing forth what you wanted. And what I, was mean, in I the think play.
6: one of the talents that I have as a casting person is to be able to read a text well and understand what the dynamics are of, it, of, it, of, it, of an individual text um, and without really too much discussion with the director and playwright know what what they will want in a very mm-hmm. more than a general way in a very specific way and uh, at this point our relationship I- is so long that i know the kind of actors that lloyd responds to i mean i think that uh lloyd's description of of the way that y- you direct <coughs> is is we see that in auditions as well lloyd is not one of those directors who says to actors this is what i want now do the scene instead he lets actors come in and and do what they're prepared to do and then if he can be helpful will not even give them a result ever but suggest what's in the text that can inform them in their choice but I certainly do work with directors who work the other way around. Is you, that a fair description? You there?
5: originally uh, did the, the, all of the casting up at Yale, didn't you? Uh, for Yale? Well, Courtney was a student. Yes, because you know, um, he said the same family worked together on yeah. several productions. I mean, are most of the productions? It'd be
6: nice to take credit for James Earl Jones, but yeah. I can't. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> a lot of these were actors that we've all worked with over the years. Mary Alice has worked at the rep many times, and with Lloyd over the years. So. I, were you about to say something, Lloyd? It?
2: Yeah, it's uh, uh, it, uh, a wonderful thing about the family of that play. They are people who I've worked with, and some of them even are people who I've taught. You know. mm-hmm. And if you go through that production, there are actors who have taught, even Frankie Faison, which nobody seems to remember, was a student at NYU when I taught there. So Frankie was a student. Mary Alice, nobody remembers that. NEC used to have classes. I taught for NEC. Mary Alice was in my very first class when she came to New York wonderful young actress, a vibrant, exciting, tremendously passionate talent to be taken and worked with. So there is, in that production, a whole, and, and Jimmy I've worked with many times, and Courtney was a student at Yale, but there is a company sense, and a sense of we all know yeah. what we're about when we're there, and August, of course, who we haven't talked with yet, just as very much an integral part of that family, because he feeds us all. Yeah,
4: I, I wanted to ask about the collaboration and get to that. Uh, and one question I'd, love, I'd, I'd like to ask you is, because it is now such a long-standing collaborative process, and I, I think one of the things worth just noting as we get into this is that we really have now, it seems to me, uh, two incredibly productive and uh, interesting collaborations between writer and director currently going on in the theatre uh, that and this people talk about the problems of the theatre here is something extremely positive positive. Uh, one is the collaboration between Lanford Wilson and Marshall Mason and they will be with us tomorrow and John Malkovich was with us yesterday that's been an ongoing relationship and uh, the other one of course is uh, Lloyd Richards and August Wilson which is just extraordinary at this point in our theatrical history And one of the questions I would be interested to hear from you about is, now it's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Fences, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, and beginning next Monday it'll be the piano lesson. Has the collaboration changed or been different in these different productions, either because of the nature of the script or because of the fact that you've worked together longer than you did at the beginning, or has it been...
3: I, I think, in fact, if we've worked together longer, now this would be our fourth play, that we've sort of gotten to know each other better, and, and I uh, uh, know the way Lloyd uh, works better, certainly I didn't know the first time. Uh, I, it's, it's really exciting for me, and one, one of the interesting things about working at Yale Rep is that we work for the requirements of the script, I mean, without any commercial pressures, what is, are the requirements of the script? How best can we illuminate that? And I have found that that uh, the, for me, the director has the director's responsibility is to and this is and what Lloyd does so well, in working with the actors, is to put up the play that the playwright wrote rather than imposing a vision on it. Is to illuminate the text, and so we don't have the problem where he's trying to impose his vision or what he would like to see as opposed to what the playwright wrote. And it's been very helpful to me in, in the thought process is to better understand what I wrote. And I think what he was saying earlier is that I know the characters in the play on one level. And in working with the actors and trying to get them to to realize the characters, he knows them. At, at a point better than I do, and I've been surprised sometimes at some of the things that he would say to the actors, that really had told me that he m- knew what was happening with the characters. So I felt very comfortable Can you remember an
4: instance of just that thing right there? Uh, Where there was a discovery about a, a facet or an aspect of a character that came out of
3: Lloyd's work with the actor, or the actor at Lloyd, that surprised you a little bit? Or uh, I, I can't remember a, a specific, I mean, because I think, because it happens so, so All constantly. All the time? Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm always surprised at that. And uh, so I feel comfortable that he knows the, the play. And I feel I could not be there and Lloyd would know that this, that August would want this particular scene to go this particular way because these are the values of the script and this is what he's trying to say, ultimately through his work and without even the particular play.
4: You mentioned this process because, of course, this is now I think so crucial in the creation of new work uh, that he is taking it through stages because with with every play you've done, you've gone to different parts of the country and done at least, what, three or maybe productions at least, and maybe more, two or three, two or three before you've tried to, for example, come into New York. Uh, has that been of, of great benefit to you to go through these, these, these different stages, as it were?
3: Oh, sure, without question. Uh, but I, I think even before that, you, know, you, you have to mention the O'Neill process, which has also uh, been very beneficial. For, Fences, for instance, was originally a four-hour play. And when we started rehearsals at know, uh, Rep, it was a 3-hour and 15-minute play. And it ultimately ended up being a 2-hour and 10-minute play as we did some work and did some cuts. But the opportunity to go back into the rehearsal process with the same cast as we did for Fences is, is I, I can't say enough how important that is and how one It's like rehearsing for eight weeks, nine weeks. The actors deepen in their understanding, they, and you learn some more some things that you that you haven't seen uh, the first time around because the actors are working harder, and they're they're learning more, and their their characters are deepening, and the whole play is suddenly taking on a new vitality. And then, if you have the if you're fortunate, they have the opportunity to go a third time in a rehearsal process. I mean, I think some really great things come out of uh, working that way. Uh the uh, what
4: isabella
1: I, I wanted to ask Alan because this is the ideal that we're talking about and it's 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 the ideal that that, that uh, great britain has in the national theater of working together and having the time and developing people and it's it's one of the things that we say oh the british do so well given the time and the money and the talent we do the same thing over here but there aren't enough of them but you are here, here all alone, <laughs> and I wanted to know, in in what way? I I know that you're you, you've done television and you've done film and and you've collaborated with Philip. But how far back does that collaboration go,
0: and uh, on what? We met each other about a year ago when we did a we did a showcase together at a, at a, a Moss Theater, uh-huh. and um, but we knew we were going to do late night comic. And as I said previously, the uh, preliminary work, the working on the on defining the script and in focusing a script, particularly a musical. I mean I have not worked in musicals in the past so it was it was a new experience for me and one that I was excited about and looking forward to uh, and I didn't know what I was letting myself in for. Uh, I would say if uh, playwriting is masochistic, a writing f- book for musicals is the height of masochism. You just, I mean, it's, uh, it's sort of a living suicide and uh-huh. They reached a point, in, uh, we, we started out in New London and we reached a point where the producer asked me to stay in my room for a few days and, uh, and not come around because I was depressing the director. <laughs> and I was relieved. It was really rather nice and I'd get reports like how it was going. It Always went well when I wasn't around, I've always <laughs> discovered that too. I seem to have missed all the good performances.
1: <laughs> uh, you should have seen me yesterday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, a musical, I don't know if a musical, uh, Ron mentioned the heartbeat. I don't know if a musical really starts out with a heartbeat like a play can. There are so many, uh there are so many elements to pull together. And uh, there's so much, there is the collaboration is so huge that what, you know, I kept telling myself, you really have to learn to live with what you've been dealt with here. These are your materials now. There's one experience of developing the script to, to production, and now... Now that you have all these people, musical directors, musical arrangers, choreographers, directors, actors, you've got to live with this. And it was, uh, that was a, t- a learning experience of just saying to myself every day, live with it. I'm not saying I lived with it well every day, but I, it was the experience of what I had to do. Uh, would I do it again? Yes. I mean, I would do it again. Uh, and hopefully I would do it better next time. I think I would learn something from it. You tend, I think the writer in a musical tends to drift more and more, the playwright, the book writer, into the background as the musical progresses and everything takes over. Uh, there were days I would be shocked when I'd come and there was a simple solo, it was now a Las Vegas number, and I would say, uh, with, you know, with, with fourteen people on stage, and I'd just say, what does that mean? <laughs> and no one ever told me. <coughs>
1: You say you've not done a musical before. What did you do before? What?
0: Uh, playwriting and, uh, and and television writing.
1: And who's your, who is your director within the play that you did? Uh,
0: at Manhattan Punchline, I work with Stephen Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at the Chelsea Theater in Brooklyn, I work with Stephen Robman. And uh, those were different experiences, and uh, really much preferable to me.
4: Alan, speaking of, of just following through, because you talked about your collaboration with Philip Rose to begin with, and, uh, as, and then by the time those of us who saw it got to the theatre uh, when it was opening, uh, his name was literally whited out by Whiteout uh, on the program, and he had withdrawn from the production. It, are you saying that this collaboration between the two of you, which started and which you were, felt so good about, that the whole process and the mechanism of the musical intervened and sort of pushed the two of you apart, and he had to be preoccupied with things. Obviously, the, the, the split became really visible to the audience in seeing that his name was no longer on this
0: program. Uh, what, what did you, the two of you, get pushed further and further apart? He had actually warned me, and he said, I know we're getting, this is like near the end, right before production started, he said, I know we've been getting along terrifically now, and I'm gonna, I just want to warn you, it's... Uh, this is almost like a parting of the ways. I'm not going to be around for you once we start. But he said it so warmly that I didn't quite, you know, <laughs> you don't quite believe And it did. It just came. and it, uh, it, it hurts. Maybe it's the nature of the beast in a musical. It does, it does kind of hurt, you know. You see your, um, you're rather unnecessary to the process. You you know, you do your writing, you say, could we have a new scene here, but after a while you just give them the new scene, you don't even know what it's about anymore. You know what the scene is about, but you don't know what the musical is about anymore. Uh, and then you look up one day and you say, okay, this is what I have to live with. And it's, uh, you know, you live with it. You, it's, um, whatever it is, you do live with it. Uh, the, the split with you, the director and me, I don't think has to happen. I don't think it has to be that far apart. Um, this situation it was. But I don't feel that is necessary even in a musical. This happened just through, uh, you know, drifted apart and uh, I was surprised he wanted his name removed from the... uh, I did call him after I heard that news that he wanted his name removed from the program and I said, uh, I called him and I said, uh, this really surprises me and and, and bothers me since it's yours. Whatever it is, it's yours. (laughs) (laughs) Even more than yours. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he said he he dealt with his conscience and wanted his name removed, and that was, that was all.
1: Well, I think that, the, uh, that uh, musical comedy writing is quite different, and the whole approach to it is different than a, a straight play, and, and I think that's the answer to it, and you found that out yes. <laughs> the hard way, but yes. <laughs> um, I, I hope you'll go on. Not necessarily a musical comedy, but go back to the straight plays <laughs> as well. well you, Alfred, you've worked
8: in musicals quite yes, a bit, I though. Have. Unfortunately, everything he says can be very true, but there is a good side to it. And I had a wonderful collaboration in a musical, and ten was years the later, Rob, was the Robert Brogdon, Gerald Friedman, and we're still friends, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> trouble with the musical, <clears> I think, is it's not usually the vision, even at the beginning, of one person. Uh, the ones, the uh, the one that worked well for me, the Robert Bridegroom, luckily was the vision of Eudora Welty that I adapted, and somehow or another, I was lucky enough to be able to hook into that, and get it across to the composer and the director and so forth. But most musicals are sort of this confusing amalgam of ideas that, that sure. get together, and there's just too many cooks. It it there's not there's not there's not a central focus, and the director almost has to take over perforce because. Somebody has to. I, I, I think, musicals are very hard, and I, Ron and I have talked about this. before. I don't know if I'm ever going to do one again. They're too hard.
2: Don't you think, in that context, Eudora, in effect, took over.
8: Yeah. And well, Robert
2: Bart- Riedgum. Well, she wasn't, was a very lovely. Musical.
8: Thank you. She wasn't there, but at least she had her sensibilities were there. Yeah. And we were all trying to do that. But these original musicals. It becomes very scattered once you're with a a choreographer and a director and a musical director and the actors. It's just there is no central focus, and it is scary, and most of the time people don't know what it's about, and that's what it looks like.
5: Well, that wasn't true of uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein, for instance. They worked together as a team, and uh, their director, Josh Logan, for instance, they, they all worked, and it all sort of came out of these three people of their thoughts and their minds, and I think that's why they always came out so beautifully. And they never had much discussion as they went along. I went to many of the rehearsals, and they knew from the beginning exactly what they wanted from each scene and each piece of music, and it was really exciting to just see it develop day after day. And, of course, they had to do it piecemeal, as usual, but when they put it together, it was a masterpiece. Oh. And it always seemed to me it was because the three people all had the same idea from the beginning. And it was just a question of how would they reach it.
8: Well, I guess Sondheim must have a strong, Stephen Sondheim must yes, have a strong vision of what he too. does because he's mm-hmm. had two ongoing you know, successful collaborations. and. Certainly, Cabaret came from somewhere. I don't know where it came from the mind of Harold Prince or somebody, but clearly, there's a show with a real vision that they all were able to stick to. It's
2: very interesting you say there, there's little that they had to say. And I I think most collaborations are really good ones, are built on that, are built on the um, lack of a necessity to explain everything Mm -hmm. all the time. There is a basic feel that you share, and a basic goal that you share that doesn't need all that articulation, if it is really there.
4: I think we've gone through a process, uh, because Gene, you described and a a world that you knew firsthand and were deeply involved in, which was the world where you had collaborations, both of a non-musical sort and a musical sort, tryouts out of town and people who had worked together many times before, whether it was Kazan and Tennessee Williams or whoever it happened to be, And then we lost that as Broadway changed so dramatically, and now we've gotten back, not in the musical field, that's that's interesting, but in the non-musical field. It seems to me with the regional theater development and so forth, we've gotten back to a collaborative process, to an opportunity to work and develop that uh, certainly doesn't exist for Broadway anymore, but it must feel great for you. And for you, too, Alfred, now with Ron, because I'm assuming you'd show him your next play. Absolutely. Uh, It must feel great for you to know that you're not out there all alone. Uh, Because obviously working in that musical, you you were really all alone. And you're not. I mean, you know you've got a place to send things... Right. Maybe <laughs> Lloyd will turn one down someday. I, <laughs> I think he's smarter than that. <laughs> no, but I. But really, you've got a place to send your play, and not only that, people you know
3: you can the work people with. People I know. There's nothing like working with the the same director because uh, you don't have to discover one another again. You don't have to discover how uh, the director works. I know how Lloyd works and. Uh, so it, it works fine
4: but just having that because writing is the loneliest profession in the world and to know that there are people you can get in touch with immediately after the process must be an enormously reassuring
3: to no you. question about it yeah. absolutely
1: sure lloyd is there any way of having more yale theaters yale <laughs> rep is there any way of having more yale Rep to have them in new york
2: well i think that what we're really talking about you see i used to perceive see and admire the fact that there were repertory situations mm-hmm. in the commercial theatre. I think that uh, you've mentioned a couple, uh, Kazan and, uh, and uh, Williams, and the whole group, and, and Ag- even the, the actors it, yeah. that surrounded yes. them, there were marvelous repertory situations, out of which very exciting work happened. Yes. And I think that what uh, that got lost, and it is in its own way, Emerging in the regional theaters Mm -hmm. in certain ways, that can be very exciting for the theater, very productive for the theater. And we have some of the
1: playwrights' horizon and circle reps that are doing the same thing here. I think that we need more of that, and and, uh, I think that's where the focus has to be. Well,
2: if you if you get me started on it, I'll because I think there there is an American national theater, and I think the American national theater is the totality of the theatres in this country that interact with one another. And I think within that are the seeds of what is the next American national theatre, and which is part of the reason that with August's work and with uh, Lee Blessing's work and the other work that we do at Yale, which we feel is significant, we want to share it. So we go to another region and another and another, and we try and bring their work to us, because I think within that... We are really saying what is unique about this country, about the theater in this country. I want August's work to be known throughout the country, not just from New Haven to on the axis to New York. I want him to be known and understood, perceived, experienced. And I think that there is wonderful theatrical work happening in this country that sometimes gets locked into the regions that they're in. And we don't all experience it enough or share it enough. Yes, I would like more Yale Rep, but I'd like more of many of the other theaters also that are doing wonderful work.
5: Yeah, like Guthrie. Guthrie does very good work also in in Mm -hmm. a traditional way. And, of course, the Theater Guild years ago was a marvelous uh, place. It was almost the American National Theater.
1: I think we can do it. mm -hmm. I think if we all keep saying that New York is a carrot, and New York is fine, but what is good in New York goes out to the country, and what's good in the country comes back to New York. There has to be that exchange. And, and one always hears that the stars will not take a chance and it won't go in for a long run and won't go on Broadway or off Broadway, but that's not so. Given the opportunity to work with someone, given the opportunity to take a limited run, you find them coming here and working and wanting to be in the theater. Whenever we ask a performer on the seminar, you know, what is there about the theater in New York compared to movies or television, there is no question that the theater is much more exciting for them. But, comes that, but we have to make money outside of of the theater. And we also cannot give that long a time. If we make it available to them, if we have a form of national theater where they can come in as three weeks, six weeks, nine weeks, what it in, in exchange, we'll all be benefited by it. So I expect you to go to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I think you've hit on something that is very difficult to accept, but must be, and that is probably the greatest angels in the theater certainly in the regional theatre, are the artists themselves Mm
1: -hmm. who
2: give time, very important, expensive time, from their lives. And, you know, I wonder at times how they survive going from job to job and doing wonderful work, (coughs) but really not being recompensed in a way that really makes it acceptable.
5: You see, uh, London is uh, in a better position because they have their... Film and television right there, and uh, we're here in New York, and most of it's out on the coast they in in London they can make uh, films is more in a day and work in the theater at night, and many of them do
4: mm-hmm. it, it is a nomadic existence for a director yes. in the regional theater these days and i mean mm-hmm. going from place to place isn't it indeed i've, I've been um,
7: i did a this i will have done uh, seven shows after the the next one, uh, I have a preview for a show the day after tomorrow, uh, <clears throat> the new Chris Durang play. Then I go into rehearsal on Tuesday. I'm a crazy person for a play at Circle Rep by Timothy at least Mason. They're both in New York. Sometimes yeah, there's a simple subway ride apart. But I'm, um, I'm just uh, in the. But uh, in terms of regional theater, I, I did a show at the Alliance in Atlanta in January and. By prior arrangement, I had to leave that show as the first time and last time I'll ever do it. Uh, the day before the show opened in Atlanta, to fly on a Monday to Seattle to begin rehearsals for the show there, which was going to rehearsal on Tuesday, because I um, had to make a living. Mm-hmm. And um, I made uh, in, C- in regional theater you, for a show you can earn a living that you can't off and off off Broadway where you want to work because you get to work with playwrights on new plays, which is the lifeblood of the theatre.
1: I'm going to interrupt right at this point, and we'll pick this up again, I hope, because it's an important discussion that we're in now. But We have to break for the audience to prepare questions, and uh, I hope that uh, you're all ready for them, and so if you will just <coughs> get your questions organized and don't go far away because we're going to get back to this discussion on what it is to work in the theater with a the playwright and director. <laughs> I feel that Thank you. We're continuing our discussion on the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. These seminars are but one of the Wing's programs. And I'm going to turn the panel – the questions over to the panelists just as soon as possible. And Ed Wilson and Jean Dalrymple, who are our co-moderators, will answer one question from the Panelists that they, we have been exploring, and that is the difference in writing for a straight play and writing in musical comedy and as soon as we finish with that, we will turn the questions over to these people who are waiting, and they will be answered by this distinguished group of panelists, Ed and Jean, will you continue with the discussion please well this is,
4: since this is the question and answer period i 'll put this in the form of a question <laughs> to the members of the panel, uh, it occurred to me when we were talking about this collaborative process that we've begun to develop, and we hope will expand in terms of a playwright and a director, that this seems to be almost primarily in terms of the straight play and not in terms of the musical yet. And I just wondered what you thought, Alfred, and maybe you, Lloyd, it would take to get the same kind of tryout process. and. that, uh, in terms of regional theatres and so on, in terms
8: of the musical? Well, I had that with the Robert Bridegroom. The Robert Bridegroom was done first at the Musical Theatre Workshop at St. Clement's Church, and John Hausman saw it there and took it for the acting company. So that was the second production, and and we had what August said. We had uh, two full rehearsal periods, and then somebody else came along and took it for Broadway. So we had three full rehearsal periods, during which time, a lot of changes were done. Uh, we had audiences every time. So that by the time it got to Broadway, it was an ast- – and then it played the Taper on the third go-round, the Mark Taper. So by the time it got here, it had been through four productions. But that's and
4: an exception, isn't it? I that was a true.
8: Most musicals are – all the ones I've worked on, except for that one, were things I was hired to do. People call me up and ask me if I would do it. And I had to make a living, and I really didn't let that part of my brain work. Did I adore it? Was I willing to go to the mat with it? Stuff like that. I needed to work. I needed to make a living, support my family, and I did them. And uh, I think therein lies the problem, that with Driving Miss Daisy, I was writing about something that was out of my own heart and out of my own life, and uh, I just automatically and instinctively knew what was right for the play, so that whether I ever said anything or not, I knew, and I think that kind of security in writing works for the director and the actors and everybody else. And you don't have that very much in a musical. You don't, you're standing on, on shaky ground. If, you, if, if Ron and I ever did a musical together and were able to workshop enough, and then we'd still have to contend with the musical director and the composer and the choreographer. And there's a lot of opinions. I, I guess it can work. It worked for us in the Robert Pride room, So certainly worked for Sondheim and Lapine have something going There's
5: well the trouble today is the cost they can't uh, go out of town anymore and spend three or four weeks or even if they used to stay two months you know go to Philadelphia then go to Washington then go to Boston and uh, by the time they came in it was pretty well polished today they have two weeks of previews and bing there are the critics and it's very difficult and it's all because of the cost
1: Well, I think that and and many more questions will be asked about why we can't do those things anymore. And so we'll now start with our first question. Would you come up here, please?
8: Hello, my name is Dennis Dane, playwright-actor of What About Love? And my question is to Lloyd Richards. Um, What is the advantage and disadvantage of a playwright
0: directing his own play? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the... uh
2: there's nothing that says that a playwright cannot direct his own play. Uh, it is just a matter of what you deprive yourself of. And that is another pair of eyes, ears, another sensibility against which to check your own. And that's as, uh, as that elaborates, I know the most suspicious time I had, and I guess I ended up not doing it, was a musical that was brought to me by the person who wrote it who intended also to play the lead there were about four hats he was going to wear and I was going to wear one hat and that was the hat of the director and I said well who am I going to talk to? every time I turn around to talk to somebody I'll be and so there's only going to be one response I'll be able to get I didn't do that one. It's just that uh, but if you are completely impassioned and think you're the only one you want to talk to or whose ideas matter <laughs> then fine do it that's what it becomes about but it's uh, it is depriving yourself of the opportunity for someone to bounce off of someone who you've selected and respect and who you check yourself against
5: thank, thank you. you hi uh william Levengood. This question is for august wilson
8: uh, as a young, unknown writer, how did you handle this latter? Uh, Bob likes your play, and if you make these, his suggested changes, he'll show it to Pete, who wants his changes, and then he'll show it to
3: Larry, who's the guy who counts. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, in, in that regard, I place myself as a guy who counts first. And uh, if it sets right in my heart, I make the change. If it doesn't... I don't care who Bob or Pete or Joe is
1: or what they have to do. Thank you. I'm Devin Allen. This is from Mr. Lagomasino. I was wondering, when you work regionally, do you often audition and cast the regional actors from that region?
7: Oh, always. Um, usually, the regional theatre will have a, a, uh, either a company or a core company uh, or they'll say, you should cast 80% of the roles from this area and the other 20% maybe we can get from, from New York. It varies from, from theater to theater.
6: Thanks a lot. My name is Patty O'Brien. This is from Meg Simon. Meg, when a producer comes to you with a preconceived idea of a specific actor or type of actor, how often will he really truly audition people that you may suggest, whose work you've seen that he may not know, and also, are they more willing now to go with the actor who may have originated the role in a workshop or regional or a showcase right here in New York without a name that's going to give them a commercial draw? If, if you're lucky enough to, to have a project that can come with James Earl Jones or Mary Alice, it would be ludicrous to try and say, but Lloyd, let's discuss some other ideas first. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't. If a director, I work with a lot of uh, young directors who come out of regional theater who will say to me, gee, I've seen the work of this actor that I really like and think he'd be great in the lead. At that point, I'll say it's a good idea or I don't think it's a great idea, but let me show you some other people that you don't know. Once a director and playwright pretty much know the available talent, you know what you're talking about right from the beginning. Um, in terms of, of shows moving to a commercial arena, with actors who created the role originally it, if, if, the, if it's a straight play the odds are you have to have names in it. I mean it, it's just a fact of financial law in, in the commercial theatre. Um, we would love to be loyal to the people who create the roles but you're almost guaranteeing that the show won't run and uh, we, we understand that and just have to fulfill the, the producers needs.
3: Thank you. Hi, my name is Stephen Terrell. I'd like to direct this to Mr. Nee. I'd like to know what, what is the, the first step you take in distilling sort of a, a, a large idea or several ideas that you have for a play into some kind of you know, a first draft of a coherent play with the kind of heartbeat that the guys were talking about earlier. if you can do it in 50 (laughs) words or less?
0: Uh, That's really a hard question to answer easily. It's, um, you just live with it a long enough time in your head and um, it begins to, for me, it just begins to I mean, it begins to take over my life and I just begin to think about it constantly. And um, until the vision becomes clear, it's hard to say where you start from. You could start from a preconceived outline or you can start from uh, you know something that's outside of yourself. Uh, I've I've been I got a New York State grant this year to uh, to work on a play and I've uh, about J. M. Barry and his mother and his dog, and uh, I've been this I, as soon as this play closed, uh, late night closed, I started working on it again for the third time from the beginning, and I finally feel I'm onto the soul of it, but it took me uh, two other starts that were not right for me to, to do it. And uh, I knew it wasn't right, but I wanted to keep working. And I finally feel comfortable with what I'm doing, so it's hard to, you know, th- I don't think there's a specific answer of how to, how to do this. A lot of times time makes the answer, like you're in a rush, you've got to get it done. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have more time.
1: I'd like to explore that. with the two playwrights answer, how do you work? Do you work on the on the My first draft, how do you start? How do you start? Where do you start?
3: Uh, I start anywhere. I uh, generally start with an idea, a question, uh, can you acquire a sense of self-worth by denying your past? So having posed the question, then I will invent a series of circumstances and situations to answer the question and oppose it. But I start anywhere in a script with a line of dialogue, and get the actors, uh, the characters talking. And the more they talk, the more I find out about them. The more I find out about them, the more I find out about the story. And the more I find out about and the play, just goes where it goes, and I just sort of go with it. I'd like to ask you a question,
4: August, about this notion of st- how a play starts. And uh, because it always fascinates other people, I think, how, where a playwright's ideas come from. And as Alan suggested, and you did, it's a, it's a difficult process to, to explain. However, there's one thing that you're doing in, your, in a series of plays. It seems to me fascinating because, on the one hand, it seems to me you've given yourself a framework and a stimulant at the same time that you haven't restricted yourself, namely your project, long-range project, of writing a play about each decade of the 20th century in terms of the black experience. And that I'm correct in saying yes. you've set yourself that task, haven't you? Yes. And it seems to me that that gives you a... Uh, some sort of, as I said, a framework or some sort of challenge so that you're not just free-falling or free-form totally. I mean, you, do, you are going to address a specific era and uh, so that even though it evolves in, the, in this amorphous way, there are some specifics to set a, to set a guide for you. Is that correct? Does, doesn't that help you a
3: lot? Oh, without question, yeah. I, I think I benefit most from the uh, historic perspective that you have and say writing a play in 19, uh, set in 1936 uh, about the black experience in America and we're in 1987, that's 50 years, you can look back and you can see the characters going down roads which they think are going to work for them, but you know given that historical perspective that it did not work out that way. So hopefully by doing that you can point up I think some of the wrong choices that we have made as a people. And because we're in the process now, of 1987, of determining our future, and if we can see where we've made incorrect choices, it can help illuminate the choices that are imposed for us
4: here. What decade is the piano lesson? That's
3: 1936.
4: 19 – so that's the 1930s. That's
8: the 1930s. What is after? How
1: do you feel? Well, for me,
8: if if I think of something that seems to me like it's the truth – like, I'm a good liar to myself – but if it's something that seems to have happened, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but I think it happened, Then that's something. Then I start thinking like I was thinking about it. And I know I'm okay when the characters start talking to me. Until they start talking to me, I don't really have anything, but I try to pretend that I do. Once they start talking, I feel sort of like the secretary. I just sort of sit there and they talk to me and I
1: (laughs) type it. Thank you. Uh,
0: My name is Adam Kovacs. I have a question for Mr. Uri. Uh, say you wrote a large-scale Broadway-type musical, but don't know anybody in the theater business. How do you get started?
1: No <laughs> oh dear.
8: <laughs> I think you ought to write it. I, I wish it were a small-scale off-Broadway experience because then you'd be better off. Uh, I suppose you'd you'd be wise to enlist the services of an agent uh, because I don't know how else. Most most large. I don't have any producers there are for, for this, in this market nowadays, uh, I don't know how you would get their attention. Maybe Meg can speak to that better than I could. I, I, I think it would have to be submitted through an agent, but I don't know. I,
6: I think you're right. I think that for actors or playwrights or budding directors, that it's hard to get an agent. And I think the best thing to do is to find people whose work you re- really respect. If you decide that Tommy Toon is the director for your big-scale musical, find out how you get to Tommy Toon and get, make sure he reads the script. Because once Tommy Toon wants to do it, he'll take it to David Merrick, you know? And you can do that on your own, if, if you have enough fortitude. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Hi, my name is Debbie McIntyre, and my question is to Mr. Richards. I'd just like to know, are you teaching theatre in New York at this time?
2: <laughs> no, I wish I were. The one thing I've uh, had to give up as dean of the Yale School of Drama and all the uh, administrative things that that uh, brings on is I've had to give up teaching. Oh. This, in this move, I determined that I would not again give up directing. See, I told <laughs> you earlier that when I went to the National Playwrights Conference, if you produce 16 plays in 28 days, <coughs> you've got to produce it. You've got to be there and be available, and I stopped directing there. And I found myself very painfully giving up things I loved and wanted to do to, uh, to other people to do. And I just have to stand there and keep my mouth shut. But when I went to Yale and became dean and artistic director, I determined that the thing I would not give up there was directing. So I'm directing, but it has meant that I don't have time to teach. I will come back to teaching. I love it. Yeah, it okay. is a very important we'll part of my life. Okay, thank
3: you. <laughs>
7: My name is Carrie Rothman. This question is to Mr. Richards or any of the writers or directors with a strong feeling. Um, you pointed out that the writer, director, and actor each has the greatest knowledge of the material at different times. Um, do you think it's a bad habit, uh, uh for one person to function in two or more of these roles at the same time, and have you ever done so?
2: Uh, I don't recall having personally done so, functioned as actor, director, uh,
6: but we've tried to get you to do
2: it. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) even my own theater, many times they've asked me to do it. And uh, maybe one, I'm asking (coughs) other directors now to cast me again. I'd love to go back to acting. Whether it's a, I think, again, I think it's uh, an occasion when you deprive yourself of a point of view. And if you're willing to do that, fine, if uh, if not. I I don't know that it's necessarily a good idea.
3: I was going to say I had a great experience. Uh, I'm not an actor, but uh, w- during our, uh, w- one of the uh, rehearsals of the play we lost an actor and I walked through the role of the actor for like three days and I got to find out a lot about the character just portraying him. <laughs> so it was a very valuable, and very good experience for me. And I thought, it would be nice if I had the opportunity to walk through all the roles in the cast <laughs> for three days, and I would really feel like I had a handle on the. That's of it. what
2: I meant by living
0: through it with other yes. people living yes. through it.
4: Alan, what were you going to say? In the last
0: play, straight play, I did the Manhattan Punchline. I was the understudy for all twelve characters, <laughs> <laughs> and I went on both in male parts and female parts, and it was terrific. And I think it can be done. Uh, I don't know about playing the lead in a show, but uh, I have loved being playing a small part or in a, some of my productions.
4: I think as an observer, because this is the second question we've had about uh, someone's functioning both as a director and a, a playwright of their, the play they've written. Uh, the, both of the cases that the two of you are talking about, which I'm sure meant a lot to you, were playing, you're still functioning basically as a writer and learning from taking on a part of an actor. You're not just uh, going to abandon the role of writer. It's That's still primary. And as an observer, I I think my feeling is that theater is, by definition, a collaborative process. If you really don't believe in the collaborative process, you should not be in the theater. If you can't have trust, we've seen some wonderful examples of trust here that we've been talking about today. And if you can't go with that, you really shouldn't, I think, be in the theater. And again, as an observer, by far the most exciting things I've seen... Are things where that collaboration works, where there is a separate director and playwright or a separate director and actor. Occasionally you'll get a, an Olivier or somebody who is, is an exception, or Gilgood who is an exception, but even there, uh, I think some of their best work is done when someone else is directing them. So that I, now it may be that in the musical, because we've heard illustrations of that today, there's almost too much collaboration, there are too many cooks. Uh, to, to spoil the, can, the broth I, Yes. can I
2: call to, uh, to attention an exception what I would consider an exception and it is Athel Fugard who I also work with to a great extent and here is a playwright who in the situation he was in in South Africa did not have the world of wonderful directors available to him to do his work and became in many respects his own director of his work and that became very much a part of his playwriting process, to direct a play. When I did the first Fugard play that uh, I produced, which was a lesson from Aloes," and I read it and I talked to Athol, who I didn't know, and he said, yes, we could do the play. And I said, yes, and uh, about the director. And he said, I I will direct. And I thought about that for quite a while because I wanted to direct that (laughs) play, and Athol Fugard is the only other director I would permit in my theatre to direct (laughs) Athol Fugard's play. Not because I'm judging him as a director, but it is a part of his writing process, and that I respect and accept for him.
4: I have (laughs) to say now, this is interesting, because I have to say that, uh, again as an observer, because I've seen a lot of his plays, and I have unbounded admiration for him as a writer and admiration for him as a director. I think there are times in his plays that the, there needs to be a director who tells the playwright to make a few changes and a few cuts. I'm, uh, I believe that, and I have to tell you in all honesty, it's my judgment that pro- as good a director as he may be and as well as he understands the material, some of his productions, I think, would have probably benefited from your being the director. I mean that quite seriously. Now, this is a point we won't settle right here today. But I, I, I think that uh, there is much to be gained from someone of his stature and his talent doing it. But even there, I think that there would be other gains uh, if someone like you were the director. You Maybe you can't answer that, but I just have to throw that in because I, I really think that... Uh, when it really works, there's nothing like that
7: collaborative <coughs> process. I'd like to add one thing to this discussion about a, the playwright taking on another role. Um, I think it's, uh, it's, there's no one way of doing things, but if a playwright is go- going to be serving as the director as well, I mean, we heard Lloyd describe how he creates that atmosphere with the actors. Now, a playwright, playwright may know his play inside and out, but if he doesn't know how to talk to an actor, if he just says, well, this is what it should be, in other words, if he asks for a result, then the actor will be uh, will be frustrated, because he will be denied of that process. And so, th- the playwright then, who, ser- who serves also as the director in this instance, will probably get more and more frustrated, not understanding why the actor just doesn't do what he says, but he doesn't know all the different ways of this sort of benign manipulation that goes on to, to, uh, <laughs> arrive at that. Well, I, I, think that's, that's part of, that's part of what it's about. But, um, I think, uh, and I'm working with, uh, in terms of, uh, a playwright being in his play. Christopher Durang, right now, is performing in his, uh, play, as well as having written it. Um, and, uh, but that has been wonderful for me as the director, because his rhythms, uh, the way he lives in his, his words, tells me so much about what the play is about, and he is so receptive to, to a director talking to him that um, that has been very illuminating. So it's, it's, it's a very it's tricky... A, it's a tough call, mm-hmm. I, I grant you that.
5: <laughs> well, Mr., Mr. Fugard played the lead in The Blood Knot. He was marvelous.
2: Well, he had played the lead in The mm-hmm. Blood Knot 25, almost 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Or played one of the roles in The Blood Knot. So it, it was a, that was not the difficult part of that. The difficult part of that is how do you get back to where you were 25 years ago and not get back to there, but get forward 25 mm-hmm. years that was very tricky for Athol, yeah. that whole process. Very interesting, too.
1: He was marvelous, I thought. I think one of the interesting things on, on this panel and, and this discussion on the playwright director is that we have representative plays from, uh, and playwrights and directors from both uh, off-Broadway and on-Broadway and regional theatre all uh, represented here. <coughs> And what has come out of this, as far as I can hear, and there's so much more to be said, is that collaboration is the important thing, and being comfortable. And on Broadway, we've had collaborators from time on, uh, the Rodgers and Hammerstein, and the Harold Prince and Sondheim, Off-Broadway as well, and Regional Theatre as well. The important thing is that you, you know your craft and that you know the people that you're working with, and you have the time to establish it, whether that's Broadway or Off Broadway or regional theater. And uh, that's one of the things that, that's come out of this. And there is so much more to be said about what we've been discussing and the, the role of the playwright and the director and how important it is. and. I can only say how important it is for me as President of the American Theatre Wing to have people that we have had on this panel today to come and give us their time and their concern and their knowledge to share with us. This is one more of the Wing's programs. It's working in the theatre and it's coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And I can't thank you enough for being here and I hope you will come again and again. Thank you very much. possible age at grade school level and it's a wonderful thing to see that these children who make the choice